Hi, I'm Katrina Daniel, and welcome to Primetime Crime, a podcast for people who want to know what goes on behind the scenes of the most notorious trending crime stories and what's going on in the minds of those involved in those stories. What are the detectives, the judges, the defense attorneys, and the prosecutors thinking? You'll hear it all on Primetime Crime, the podcast. So this is a two-parter on Primetime Crime. I'm Katrina Daniel, and we're talking active shooter situations. It seems like there's at least one a week. What can you do to protect yourself? Do you run? Do you hide? Do you hide under a desk? Do you go for the door? Do you even know where the door is? So now I'm talking with security and arms expert Jason Weber. Jason is a former police officer who was himself involved in an active shooter situation while he was a cop. That incident intrigued him so much, interested him so much, and he learned so much that he went on to gather even more and develop even more information and experience. Now he specializes in public safety and defense. I'm honored to have him as our guest. Michael Miller, Chief on the Hostage Rescue. At some point in time during the, uh, the, the times we were negotiating with the subject uh, for a period of time all day, uh, constant communication with him, he did release one hostage in the middle of the uh, incident. That hostage was not harmed, and he was, uh, he was, he's doing well now. The, uh, the FBI called out uh, the hostage rescue team, which is an elite uh, hostage rescue force out of Quantico, Virginia. They, they uh, immediately when uh, the, the SAC called, they got on a plane and flew out here. I think they brought 60 or 70 people uh, from Washington, D.C. To, uh, to come and help with the situation. Uh, sometime around 9 p.m. today, uh, this evening, the HRT, the hostage rescue team, breached uh, the, um, the synagogue. Uh, they rescued the three hostages, and uh, the, the subject is deceased. Jason Weber, thanks so much for joining me on this. You've got the most interesting background. Capsulize it for us and tell us how you got into this and why you got into this. So uh, my background is uh, I was in law enforcement for 28 years in northeast Wisconsin, uh, the village of Fox Crossing. Spent half my career uh, on patrol, and then I spent the other half in detectives. When I got into community policing, that was really a a good change for me because it was proactive, it was preventative versus in the law enforcement role, it was always reactive. So I got into that crime prevention part. Um, getting into the active threat incidents, really, we, I mean, we law enforcement wise, we could trace that back to Columbine. But me personally, what really started to pick up is after Sandy. So we started to get a lot of requests at my police department from schools on enhancing their security, enhancing their prevention. So in crime prevention, we would do, uh, we would offer security surveys, which basically would be going into a business, an organization, a place of worship, um, uh, whatnot, and sitting down and kind of taking a look at their security procedures uh, from not only physical, you know, doors, locks, lighting, glass, that type of stuff, but also procedural. What are they doing uh, policy and, and procedural wise? So we were doing that. We kind of um, encapsulated that into with the Alice, avoid, deny, defend, run, hide, fight. Explain Alice to people. So there's um, across the United States, after we've had these active shooter 
incidents, there's been a big push from several different organizations on how do you react? What do you do in the event something happens? And it really comes down to three concepts. It's either run or avoid, get out of that situation, hide or deny. A lot of people don't like to hide because it's too passive, but the deny, let's barricade ourselves, block the door, whatnot. And then the last thing really would be the fight or the defend. So there's several different training programs out there. Alice is one, avoid, deny, defend from the alert organization, run, hide, fight from uh, Homeland Security. They all have that basic concept of the three things, run, hide, fight. So uh, I was an instructor in all three, but I, I thought, you know, geez, they're really missing the prevention component. You know, don't we want to prevent that? When we look at prevention, uh, if we're going to prevent anything, there's four Ds, deter, detect, deny, and delay. But, you know, we want to teach people to deter the event from happening. You know, and if somebody is going to do something nefarious, you know, we want to detect them, we want to deny them. And if they're going to keep trying, we want to delay them. So then getting back into my career, we unfortunately had an active shooter incident in, in my community in, in about five years now, almost six. And um, that really hit home uh, with the recovery aspect. I mean, that was very impactful in our community. Where I came from, uh, Northeast Wisconsin, it's an area uh, called the Fox Valley. And um, it's comprised of about six, seven different communities. And we have 250, 300,000 there. So it's not very small, but it's a very innocent area. We don't have a lot of crime. We don't have a lot of big city issues, fortunately. Uh, so when that, when that incident happened, it really was kind of the end of the innocence for our area. Then we learned about, you know, we were impacted by the recovery. How do you recover from, from this, you know, not only physically, but psychologically? So then we put another spin, we added another component in that training of the recovery. So now we go out to schools, businesses, places of worship, organizations, whatever, and do trainings that talk about prevention, reaction, and recovery. So we kind of give people the idea, you know, so at least they have, a, they have an idea in their head in the event something happens. You know, they they've hopefully have formulated some sort of a plan. Okay, so let's say you were in a church or a temple and an active shooter comes in, as happened in Colleyville, Texas last week. The biggest thing is be aware of your surroundings. You know, let's, let's, let's do the place of worship. Okay, when, when we go to a place of worship, we walk in the same door for the most part, right? Probably park in the same parking lot, <laughs> walk in the same door, and... Shoot, a lot of us probably sit in the same seat, sit in the same yeah. pew, okay? And then when we leave, it's that routine reversed. So we tell people, be aware of your surroundings. There's other exits. So in the event something happens, you know of other ways that you could leave. You know, and, and it's not just a hostage situation. It's not just an active threat. It's what if there's a fire? What if there's a yes. hurricane? What if there's, you know, a car crashes in the building? I don't know. Uh, but be aware of your surroundings. So that comes into play. So if we go into what happened in Texas a couple of weeks ago, and you look at the run, hide, fight, 
what came into play there is they took a little bit of run and a little bit of fight. So they were trained from what we've learned, what we've heard, they had training and um, they had formulated that plan. So they're in this situation. They had the hostage taker and I'm sure they were using their situational awareness, kind of looking around going, if we can run, if we can get out, where are we going? You know, they probably looked around and they saw that door close by. All right. So, so now the other thing here is you look at that door. Okay. What type of hardware, what type of doorknob is on that door? All right. So if you look at, so I'm looking at my office door here, there's a handle. So it's going to take you a little bit to manipulate that handle, to turn that, twist that. The door that they exited was actually a door that exited to outside of the building. Typically, those doors by fire code have to be a quick exit. So they have what's called a crash bar. Some of the older, if we're getting into buildings in the 60s and 70s, they have that, it's hard to explain it, that door with that, the bar that kind of swings down, you know, they a circular bar, but some of the newer doors actually have like a rectangular bar that you just, you, you crash into it, push it, and it opens up. So it allows for a quick exit. That's why they have it. That's why the fire code requires that so that people can get out quick and you're not manipulating. So going back to this, they probably looked at that and said, all right, okay, we, we can probably make a quick run to that, that door and we just push it and we should be able to get out free. So then the next component that they brought in was that fight. So it's like, all right, how, how are we going to buy time? How are we going to do this? So they kind of watched and waited and, and depends on what you hear. And I don't know if the actual story came out, but it sounds like this guy was either took a drink or, or put his weapon down or something distracted him. that the rabbi took that as an opportunity and he threw a chair. So when we talk about that fight, when, when we teach people that, is that fight 110%? Because this is a fight for your life. So yes. look around and see what you can use. Do you throw a book at the person or you, do you pick up a fire extinguisher and whack them with the fire extinguisher? Fire extinguisher is going to be more effective than a, a book, 110%. I'll go with the fire extinguisher. Yeah, yeah, or spray them, you know, but, the, you know, those are other things to get people thinking is think non-conventional weapons. So what the rabbi did was he picked up a chair. Pretty good, obviously worked, um, threw it at that person, distracted them long enough for them to buy time scoot out the door you know but all of that came from that training that seed was planted in their mind in the event something happens and that's what we're hoping to do to accomplish in these trainings is just to get people thinking and a lot of the concepts honestly it's the light bulb that goes off you know when i found it i can't tell you how many places of worship i've i've done here in northeast i donate my time for places of worship in northeast wisconsin I shouldn't say that out loud on your podcast, but um, <laughs> um, I am doomed now. But um, it's planting that seed, you know, and, and in my trainings, a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that, right. that makes sense. You know, they just don't think about it. it it's a very, it, it's a very sensible thing. And people don't think about it. and They don't want to think about it. And honestly, we really shouldn't think about it. But no. times have changed in the United States. And here we are. What if you have multiple shooters? How do you prepare people for that? Well, 
So studies have shown there's there's been close to 400 active threat incidents since 1999, since 2000. So studies have shown, and and the FBI and people look at they look at these studies and they research them. And there's always lessons to be learned from how did we react and respond from law enforcement, from public safety, to what. Um, the citizens or what, you know, the people involved, what they, they did. Now, those studies have shown really only a few incidents where there was more than one threat. Okay. So typically, it's just one person. So let me ask you next. Is it a deterrent for a potential attacker to learn that the school or the church or whatever, the grocery store, that he, or he, generally speaking, is planning sure. to attack. Uh, is it a deterrent to know that they have active shooter training, or is that a challenge? No, you know, they, again, studies have shown with these incidents is um, there's a lot of pre-planning. Yeah. So they um, stake it out or, you know, do their homework. And the more security presence, the more deterrence, you know, the more different measures that you can have in place, sure, would end up deterring them. Let's let's go to Aurora. Remember the guy at the movie theater in Aurora, Colorado? Yeah. All right. So he, what he did is he kind of hashtagged out what he was going to do. Was he going to be a serial killer? Was he going to, you know, do a big bomb? Was he going to do an act of threat? What was he going to kind of do? And he kind of pro and conned that out, settled on being an active shooter. Then he looked at, all right, where am I going to do this? Do I do it at a library? Do I do it at a zoo? Do I do it at a mall? Do I do it at school? Do I do it whatever? And again, he pro and conned it out. He selected on the movie theater. Then he went to that movie theater place and kind of looked at it and decided on a particular theater. So he watched. So very few of these incidents are like a spontaneous spur of the moment, there's typically some planning involved. But the more secure presence you have really can deter things. So I, I'm, I'm going to throw out an example of a chain of grocery stores that we have here in North Wisconsin. When you walk into this grocery store, they have a policy. It's called the 10 tile that a customer, if a customer is within 10 tiles of an employee, that employee greets them. Hey, how you doing? Can I help you find something? You know, almost to the point where as I'm going to get eggs, it, it's a little annoying because <laughs> there's so many guys that say something. So what they're doing is subliminally, they're sending it's very customer service, but at the same time, they're sending that message that they're watching. Yeah. So shoplifters. Okay. So so here in Northeast Wisconsin, we have loss prevention groups. We have one in Green Bay. We have one in the Appleton area, the Fox Valley, where I was from. And they meet monthly, and, and it's, it's different retail establishments with their loss prevention. This particular chain of grocery stores, extremely low, extremely low in shoplifting. And a lot of that comes to be with that, that greedy mentality. So taking that into a place of worship, okay? So a place of worship, when, when you want to deter, uh, when you want to detect people from coming in, places of worship are are uh, challenging because by the nature of them, they're open. So we can't go that school mentality where we're going to lock her all down. 
you know, and you got a buzz to get in, that's just not practical. Uh, maybe during the week, but when there's services, just not practical. So how we counter that is we limit the number of entrances and we put greeters and we put ushers. So our greeters and ushers are taking a much more active role than when I was a greeter uh, going through confirmation class and, and stuff. We, we Greeters take a much more active role and they have that mentality. It's like, hey, welcome to, you know, ABC Church. Can we help you? Can we, you know, you have that, that greeter, that warming reception, but those people that are coming there to do ill will or, um, you know, coming there not for the intended purpose, they're not going to get very far. So they're going to see that and it's going to deter them. So it's kind of taking ideas that others are doing and you kind of mold them to a way and apply them to a place of worship. If you're the average, let's just say you're the average church attendee or temple attendee, what steps, and I think the most obvious you've hit on, but maybe expound on awareness. What kind of things should you be noticing about people? And should you listen to your gut? You know, somebody walks down the aisle and you go, ew, what's wrong with this guy? It's June and he's wearing a trench coat. Right. You know, that's a thing too. That That is, you know, we get the question of what is suspicious? And it's behavior, not the person. So it's, what are they doing? You talked about wearing a trench coat in August in um, South Carolina. Not a lot of people probably do that or address you know. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it, it's that, okay, that's a red flag. Uh, you're in a yeah. house of worship and somebody comes walking in with like this huge duffel bag, yeah. you know, um, or a backpack. You know, do we confront them? Do we walk up to them? That's depending, but do we keep an eye on them? Yeah. You know, probably just just kind of keep an eye on them. Is he a regular? Do we know him? Do we, you know, those are red flags. We teach a lot about how to have conversations with people, de-escalation, um, different terms, different words. All right, let's say you're in a grocery store, as happened recently, and some fool goes in there and wants to shoot it up. Um, how do you de-escalate that? Do you de-escalate it or you just throw a cantaloupe at them and hope it blinds them? Well, if that person has a firearm and is starting to active shoot, um, you're kind of beyond that de-escalation point. Yeah. Um, what I would do, what I would advise is, is get out if you can, you know, if you can't hunker down again, that's being aware of your surroundings. When we teach in schools, you know, so I do active shooter training here yeah. on campus, be aware of your surroundings, your office, you know, my office here, how am I going to, um, secure that the, the, the de-escalation is going to be more for, you know, at a house of worship, your greeters, your ushers in a place of employment. Uh, the person working the front desk, um, you know, those people that have a lot of interaction. Um, we used to, when I was at the police department, we trained our our tax collectors. <laughs> There'd be a lot of de-escalation at that time. Uh, yeah. People a little pent up there at uh, Christmas time coming in to pay their property taxes. Um, we also did training for licensed establishments of responsible beverage server training for bartenders, for door persons at, at clubs. And we would teach a little bit of de-escalation uh, with them. Tell us what the three quickest things, the three most easy things that we could do to protect ourselves, 
in that order? Like, let's say you are in a grocery store or a mall. What, what, what would you advise? Really, it's one, and it's be aware of your surroundings. You know, so when you go into restaurant at the table, look around, see where the other exits are. And then really, when it comes down to the what do I do in the event something happens, you have three options, run, hide, fight. But a lot of that is based on your surroundings. Right. You know, so can I run and get out? Ideally, yes. If I can't, how am I going to hunker down? You know, those are really the kind of the two. The fight really is the last part. Some people have it in them to fight. Some don't. God bless those people that don't. We need those people in our lives. But, you know, so it really comes down to that run, run, hide. In a business world, in um, a school, that part comes into the communication aspect. So if you have an incident in a school per se, who's going to make that announcement? That something's happening, all right? Who has the ability? Hopefully, we have a bunch of folks. And then secondly, what is the message that they're sending out? You know, they really should be telling what's going on and where. So that me, in my office here, I know that there's an incident in the cafeteria. I'm far enough away from the cafeteria. I can bolt. If it's in my conference center, which is across the hall from me, all right, well, but then I better hunker down. So all components work together. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. You have to put all them pieces together to have a good plan. Jason Weber, thank you so very much for letting us pick your brain. Yeah, hey, anytime. It's been enjoyable, even though it's a negative topic, but it's been very informative. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Primetime Crime, the podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Primetime Crime and on Instagram and Twitter at Primetime Crime underscore. Post your comments and tell us what true crime stories you'd like to hear about. Subscribe to Primetime Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Thanks a lot.